Well, this morning, our conversation is about water baptism. And I'm going to begin with a very basic question. And that is, what does it mean to be a Christian? Now, some of the eyewitness reports coming out of that Oregon shooting this week say that the shooter specifically, among the religions he was asking people to identify themselves with, he was specifically targeting Christians. And uh, he posed a question, what religion are you? And if a person said, well, I'm a Christian, then he fatally shot them in the head. And you know what? That puts professing to be a Christian into perspective. That puts it into perspective. Because those who, who said on Thursday of this week, I am a Christian, they were willing to die for it. They really meant it. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to offer water baptism to uh, some individuals here. Water baptism is a very bold and public way that Jesus called those who decisively choose to follow him to announce it to the whole world. Water baptism is basically a way that Jesus gave us to stand up and shout out to all that are listening, I am a Christian. So what does it mean to take that title to yourself, to be a Christian? Well, I want to start by clearing up three misconceptions about what that means. First, there is this really common idea that I can earn by my own good efforts. I can earn my own salvation. Uh, I can earn my own way to eternal life. And usually the idea that goes along with this or the method is, if I make the list of the good things that I do in my life longer than the list of the bad things I do in my life, then on the day that I stand before God to give an account of my life, he will be standing there at the gates of heaven, and he will take a look at that long list of good things I have done. And if they're longer than the other, then... Our expectation is that God is going to say, he's going to throw open the, the gate, and he's going to say, great, you're in. However, um, but let me say this, that th it, that is the foundation upon which every religion and every moral philosophy in this world is based upon. Some of the Eastern religions call it karma. If you collect enough good karma in your credit in this life, then you're prepared for the next, you know, the next life. Uh, all the religions of the world are based upon that except one, except one. And that is what Jesus taught us. You see, if we can get to God, if we can get to salvation by our own good efforts, then there was, Jesus is an absolute non-necessity. <laughs> We don't need Jesus if we can do it ourselves. There was no need for Jesus to come into our world. There was no need for Jesus to die on the cross, to go through all that he did, the crucifixion, Gethsemane, sweat and drops of blood. I mean, all that stuff. The rest, Christmas means nothing. It means nothing. Easter means even less than nothing, his death on the cross. Being a Christian has no meaning if we can do it all on our own because we can do it ourselves. 
Now, Jesus teaches us that we cannot earn salvation on our own because no matter how long our list of good things is, there is still that other list of our sins on the record. Now, you might say, well, God's a God of love. (laughs) Sure, I've got this other list of sins. Who, Who hasn't? Who doesn't? You know what? You're right. We all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. The Bible says that. So God's a God of love. Well, couldn't he just sort of overlook that other list and concentrate on the good things we've done? Well, think about this for a second. Who is God? What's he like? God is 100% pure. God is 100% sinless. He's 100% good. He's 100% holy. His character is flawless. And so God can't just look the other way and ignore sin in his creation. He can't do that. If he did, he would be less than a good and a pure and sinless God. He would be a God who is compromising his own character by letting evil or sin stand. He would be a monster. If there was a God as infinite and powerful as the God who created this universe, if he admitted even a small amount of evil, that would turn him into a monster. That's why we're in a dilemma here. Because our sins separate us from that God who is so holy and pure. It's not because he doesn't love us. He loves us deeply. But there's a broken relationship here. And in need of a solution. And we can't can't devise that solution ourselves. There's a lot of religions that try to, but we can't devise it ourselves because we can't get rid of that list of sins ourselves. There's only one solution, and that's this. In the greatest love imaginable, Jesus, the Son of God, the sinless, eternal Son of God, He came into our world to show us the Father. He came in to die on a cross where He took the blame for all the sins on your list and my list so that a way could be opened for us to be completely forgiven and the slate to be wiped clean. Jesus is the only way to salvation because he is the only one in history who died for our sins. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. The Apostle Peter, from the very first day the church was going out, this this was the message. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven In all the earth, you can go to all the nations and societies and you can search out all the religions and all the philosophers of the earth who have have tried to deal with the question of justice and salvation and sin and evil. You can check them all out. But there is no other name on the nations of the world in the history of the world. There is no other name except the name of Jesus Christ by which we can be saved. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for it is by grace, God's grace. Grace means love and mercy and, and, and a heart of, that moves with compassion. It's by God's grace 
that you have been saved. The word saved means rescued, rescued from your sins. You know, our sins are a serious deal. They not only separate us from, from God in this life, they separate us from God for eternity if they aren't dealt with, if we don't find that solution. We're lost. Our humanity's lost. So, for it is by grace you have been saved, rescued, and then this is important. How? Through faith. Faith in Christ who died on that cross. And then Paul says, and this is not from yourselves. You can't do this on your own. It is the gift of God. It's a gift that you receive. He emphasizes again in verse 9, not by works so that nobody can boast. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God someday and boast about their great long list of good deeds. And that's what got them there. It doesn't work that way. So here's what it means to be a Christian. That you are willing to fully admit that you have sinned against God. And that you have come and that you come to God really sorry for your sins. And then you ask him to forgive you of your sins on the basis that Jesus took the blame and the judgment for all your sins when he died for you on the cross. And then you surrender your life to him. And it's, now, you know, that, the surrender part is the hard part, you know, because there's a, there's a, um, there's a concept, there's, a, there's an infection we've all got because of our sins. It goes down to the root of what our sins are. The root of all human sin is self-will, self-centeredness. That's where all of our sins come from, whatever shape they might happen to be. Because way back at the beginning, God, you know, God created us with, a free, with the ability to choose. Adam and Eve, first parents, they made a bad choice. And the consequences of that just flow down through the human tree. And so we, we fight God when it comes to surrendering ourselves to him. Because we like to keep control, don't we? But you know what? Our salvation is outside of our control. It's a gift that God wants to give. And if we'll surrender to him, if we'll let go of our, our self-control issues and our pride and invite Christ to come in, he'll forgive us. And then there's something else that happens. If a person comes to Jesus for forgiveness, then the greatest of all the miracles that anyone can ever experience will take place inside of them. Once that sin barrier is gone, Here's what happens. The presence in the life of Jesus Christ really enters in to that person's life, to the core of who they are. God comes and lives inside, and it forms a relationship between yourself and God. Now, you might think, okay, wait a minute. That is way too good to be true. You mean to tell me that the God of the universe... I can know him. I can have a relationship. You mean to tell me that? Wait a minute now. That's stretching it a little bit. Well, you know what? It's only hard for a person to believe that if you doubt that God is capable enough of loving that deeply. Now, is it that illogical that the God who created us, as powerful as he must be to do everything we can see looking out these windows here today and I just saw the movie Everest yesterday. Wow. Some of the scenes in that movie. I mean, the God who created the oceans, the hills, the mountains. I mean, with such precision. You know, the fine-tuning of our universe is convincing many, many a skeptic in our day. That, wait a minute, this isn't an accident. 
Okay, a God who's capable of that kind of infinite intelligence, don't you think he might also be capable of infinite love? Don't you think if he created us with, a, with this search inside for meaning and purpose, don't you think that he had a reason for doing that? He does. And you can find it in Jesus Christ. And yes, double score it, bold print, yes, God will reveal himself to you. He will make his love known to you personally. He'll come and live inside your life. But you know what? The only way you can, the only way you can uh, really um, resolve that doubt you might have is by coming to Christ and finding out. <laughs> because this is one of the things you can talk about it and try to explain it, but you really can't understand it until you've experienced it. That's the invitation that Christ offers. So that's, that's what it means to be a Christian. Now let me clear up a second misconception. Some people live with a deep fear. And I've had many a person say this to me. I can know if I'm saved only, I, I won't know that I'm saved until I get to heaven. You can't know for sure until you're there. Now, if ever there was a um, cart before the horse situation, okay, uh, that's it. Let me, let me settle that. Let me settle that doubt once for all. If we confess, this is what the Word of God says about that. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He's dependable and He is just. He has just a just foundation and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all of our unrighteousness. 1 John 1 9. Can we take Him at His word? If we confess our sins, He forgives us and He cleanses us. You know what? You don't have to wait to heaven. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to find out that. That, that you're going to be there. You can know that today. You can know it right now. And that can become the profound hope of your life that will carry you through every grief and every pain you ever go through. You can know it now. But you might raise the question, well, uh, I came to Christ. I received him. But then I started to mess up. Well, here's the fact. All of us have a lot of old baggage still clinging to our lives even after we come to Christ. But that doesn't mean Jesus isn't living in there. The whole point of his coming to live, one of the points is, he's come in there to help sit in motion a process in your life of creating a new you by his power as you cooperate with him. You know, uh, my first few years after knowing Christ, well, when I first came to know Christ, uh, I had this big, I had a huge desire in my life that I had never had before. And that was, I wanted to do everything to please him. It just, it welled up inside of me. That wasn't there before. Uh, so out of that came a lot of joy and a sense of purpose. But you know what happened? Over time, that began to fade out and be replaced with a lot of misery. And really, I became a really miserable person, even though I was a Christian. Uh, and the reason is because I had this deep desire to please God, but I kept finding that I messed up all the time. So I would come to the end of the day feeling so condemned, feeling like God, <laughs> he probably can't stand me. And then it seemed like whenever I prayed, the only thing I was praying about was, God, forgive me for this, forgive me for that, forgive me for this. I mean, I, I was getting so, I didn't even want to read the Bible because I felt so condemned. I felt like I didn't want to face. Now, I found, here's what I found out. Soon after I became a Christian, I found out that I wasn't perfect yet. <laughs> and Jill already knew that, okay? <laughs> I, 
I messed up, despite my best intentions to serve the Lord. Now, here, here's something I hadn't put together yet, and that is this, that the fact that, I, that every time I did sin, every time I missed, messed up, it was bothering me so much. Well, I didn't, that wasn't the way it was with me before. Before, I sinned just as a course of action. It didn't bother me a bit. Maybe a little twins of conscience now and then. It didn't bother me like that. So one day, a click, the light went on in my mind, and I said, you know what, Jim? <laughs> Here's one of the big evidences that Jesus is in your life. Here's one of the big evidences that you've been changed deeply inside, that when you sin, it just kills you. You hate sinning. Who else hates sin? Jesus hates sin, and he's living in me. What I had to come to understand was that the moment, and Jesus was the one who was letting me know, Jim, you just stepped across the line here. Jim, you just blew it. But you know what else he was trying to say to me, and I wasn't listening. Sim, okay, Jim, now I've made provision for you to deal with that. Just bring it right to the cross. Bring it to me right now and say, Lord, I blew it. Forgive me, Lord, forgive me. I, I trust in your blood that covered my sins and washed my sins away. This is what the Apostle John means in uh, 1 John chapter 2. This is what he says. He says, my dear children, he's writing to the Christians, I write this, the word of God to you, so that you will not sin, so that we can learn to overcome sin. Now, that's not going to happen totally until the day Christ comes, the day of the resurrection. Then we'll be perfected, okay? Not until then. We're under construction until then. But listen to what he says. If anybody does sin, okay, we have an advocate. Now, that's the word for lawyer. We have a defense attorney who will plead our case before God the Father. And who is that? He identifies him. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. That word atone means to make amends, to patch up a broken relationship so that forgiveness comes in and just restores the relationship. That's what atonement means. It means to make amends for a broken relationship. Jesus did that by bearing all the sins of the world on the cross. Now, let's come back to that lawyer thing. Uh, we, maybe we, you haven't thought of uh, Jesus as a lawyer, as a defense attorney. That's what he is. Uh, how many of you have heard, how many, for how many of you is this name recognizable? I'll bet everybody in here. Peter Francis Geraci. <laughs> all right? You all know Peter Francis Geraci? If you've watched, if you've been in Chicagoland and even turned your television on in the last 30 years, <laughs> okay, you have heard Peter Francis Geraci, I think. He's that defense attorney that wants to take your case to court. Okay, keep your ears, you, you'll hear them. Uh, well, anyhow, when we sin as a follower of Christ, uh, there is a prosecutor lurking around too. His name is Satan. One of the names Satan is given in the scripture is the accuser. And you know what? When we sin, he takes, <laughs> he prosecutes us. And he says, look, you are a lousy excuse for a Christian. You call yourself a Christian. Look what you just said. Look what you just did. But then uh, we have a defense attorney. And so what the Lord is saying here is when we sin, when we slip, when we mess up, it bothers us so much. Let's bring that to him. 
And what he does is because he bore our sins on the cross, the price has been paid for our forgiveness, he just brings that back to God the Father. He takes our case and pleads our case to God the Father. And you know what God the Father does? He says, all charges are dropped. All charges are dropped. That's my child right there. Uh, So can you know if you're a Christian? Can you be assured that you're a Christian even though you're not perfect yet? And and that's, that's coming. That's coming, okay, but you're not there yet. A lot of work to be done yet. But I'll guarantee you, you can know today and have the joy and the hope in your life. Yes, the cross and what Jesus did there is sufficient for me even though I'm not perfected yet. I'm just going to keep clinging. Remember that old song, I will cling to the old rugged cross? That nails it right on the head. It really does. Okay? Now, um, one more misconception. And that's this one. And I've heard this one too. I'm not good enough to come to Jesus yet. I'm not worthy yet. I have too much to be ashamed of in my life. I've done too many things that are just too bad. Uh, sometimes people feel like they're spoiled goods, they're damaged goods, they're of little value, and I have to make myself better, more acceptable to God before I could pray, before I could come to him. Now, you know, that's the big cart before the horse problem, okay? Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says this. I love this. When we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Isn't that great? We couldn't help. No matter, who we, no matter what we've done in our lives. You know, that kind of logic, I mean, the whole reason we come to Jesus is so that he can redeem our broken, messed up lives. You know, to take that logic would be the same as me saying, you know, I'm really sick but I'm not going to go to the doctor until I make myself better, at least a little bit better, and then I'll go to the doctor. Does that make any sense? It does not. So we come as we are to Jesus Christ. Now, that's where water baptism comes in. Because after a person comes to Christ, Jesus commanded them to be baptized in water. He didn't suggest it, he commanded it. Why? Because it is a beautiful, public, symbolic picture of what takes place spiritually inside a person when they place their faith in Jesus Christ. The picture's like this. Lowered into the water is a picture of the cleansing away of all of our sins and our guilt and our shame because Jesus carried all of that guilt and shame for us on the cross. So lowered into that water is a picture of the cleansing of forgiveness and the washing away of all of our sins because of our trust in Christ. It's just a picture. It isn't the water that does it. It isn't getting baptized that makes us a Christian. It represents what happened when we placed our faith in Jesus. Now, when you're raised up out of the water, that's a picture of the brand new life that you now are entering into because Jesus has come to live inside of you and to give you power to begin a process of becoming the new you, of overcoming all the old garbage and all the old habits that still want to cling. 
one by one, he's going to help you overcome those things all the way up until the day when he comes again and the job's complete. And then his glory shines out of us unhindered by any, any taint of sin. But until that time, he, he promises to be faithful to keep working in our lives. So I want to set before you a decision to be made this morning. Here it is. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, are you ready to do that? If you are ready to do that, then I would like to ask that you would sincerely join in this prayer that I'm going to ask us all to pray right now. Even if you, even if you already know Christ, I'm going to ask us all to pray this prayer. And if you're praying it for the first time ever, this will be a moment of transformation for you. Christ will come into your life. So I'm going to pray this. Would you bow your heads with me? And then you just repeat uh, the phrases of this prayer, but make it from your heart. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to take the blame for my sins. I confess I have sinned. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I invite you into my life. I surrender my life to you. Be the center of my life. I receive you now as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.